Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On this week's episode, we are joined by Howard University junior Ashley Fields. Ashley is the editor-in-chief of The Hilltop, which is the student newspaper at the school. Ashley, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to speak with you tonight. So editor-in-chief is just one of many items on your resume, but let's start at the beginning. On your website, The Carrington Courier, you say, quote, the first thing you should know about me is that I love to write. If I had a website on which I was doing that, I would have probably written the same thing. You also love to run, and they're connected. Can you give us your journalism origin story? Of course. Um, So I was born in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, um, where I was raised intensely by my mother, who was a journalist. Um, So I often accompanied her on multiple trips to interview people or to meet different people who are part of stories that she felt were specifically touching. Um, And so I grew up uh, seeing her ask a lot of questions and always searching for the answer. And so in that, I feel that um, I was, you know, born or raised to be a journalist. Once I got to high school at East Mecklenburg High School in Charlotte, North Carolina, we had a very, very, very strong uh, newspaper. And um, I was able to join our advisor, Mr. Allen, um, on staff and work as the online editor-in-chief of the paper, where I learned a lot about digital media and um, how to write stories that are breaking or also just, you know, better for uh the internet as opposed to print journalism. Um, And in coming to Howard, being in Washington, D.C., where I am now, I've been able to really see how much international affairs have really affected the state of journalism and, you know, given us something to write about in addition to our historical campus, which I've drawn from a lot in different pieces that I've written and tried to discover. I love origin story. And I'm curious, is there a story that you wrote or saw as you were learning what journalism was and you were kind of watching what your mom did it went what was the first thing that you did where you were like wow this is like really kind of cool to do and this is something that's important well I wrote a story on gentrification uh, that was occurring exactly across the street from my high school and that displaced a lot of our students Um, so that was one of the first stories that I was able to write that I really felt like had an impact on the community or made more students aware of an issue going on around them that they previously had not you know known about and to me it was really important to see how not only my city was changing but the dynamic and the culture at my school changed because of buildings disappearing and you know reappearing at higher costs at higher rates that prevented people of color truly from living there and um, enjoying the neighborhood what was the response from the community Um, Well, I had a lot of teachers tell me that, you know, it wasn't gentrification because the people that lived there were criminals or that they had done bad things. Um, And my response was, you know, what about criminals children? Um, Aren't they innocent? You know, don't they deserve a place to live? Uh, Probably not the best uh, journalistic response, but um, it really sparked something in me to see how that story created conversations, not only among myself and fellow students, but also administrators at the school. Well, it's certainly important for a journalist uh, after they publish something to be able to have conversations with about with uh, with others about it, certainly. So it's good that you're able to get uh, experience doing that. And that takes us to now. And Howard University has actually been in the news for a number of reasons recently, including a protest that is now more than four weeks deep at the time that we're talking about it. Can you educate us on let's get the background first. 
the housing crisis and the subsequent Blackburn takeover? Of course, um, that's been a very, very popular topic on campus these last few weeks. Um, it sort of began uh, once students were aiming to return to campus after the pandemic and spending a year at home. Uh, many students who were juniors and seniors were told that they would not be housed on campus and that the next best options they could find were, you know, over $1,500 in rent um, and not student housing, which sparked a lot of students to either move back without a place to go or to stay where they were located prior to the pandemic, uh, the ending of the pandemic. Well, I guess the, the, the reintegrations of students on campus. Um, and so a lot of students were upset because they, they felt that their university should be taking care of them, not only uh, academically, but also housing wise. Um, some students that did move here for the first time, freshmen and sophomores were put in dorms where there was mold and there was no knowledge of the mold prior to coming here. So students with asthma have been complaining about coughing up blood when they wake up in the morning due to their room conditions. And there was numerous efforts on behalf of the Howard University Student Association to meet with our president, Wayne A.I. Frederick, uh, to discuss some of these issues with and in front of the student body. And every time that they asked or requested for him to attend these meetings, he did not come. And so the last meeting that students went to where he did not come before the protest was on October 12th. Um, and about 30 to 40 students uh, stayed inside of Blackburn uh, Digital Auditorium and the Blackburn University Center um, to sort of list off four demands that they requested from our president. Yeah, and so there are four demands. Um, the first demand was for President Frederick to have an in-person town hall with students on October 31st uh, or before October, the ending of October. Um, the second demand was for there to be the reinstation of students, alumni, and faculty on the Board of Trustees with voting power. Uh, they were removed over the summer at a meeting that they did not attend due to the pandemic. Um, and the third request was for the administration to meet with students to outline uh, future plans for housing so that you know the immediate incoming classes are made aware of the conditions in which they will have to live or have to deal with to be a student at this institution and the fourth demand was for a legal and academic immunity so president frederick has you know shared some of his concerns about the demands um, and i guess i can start backwards going up to the top um, he says that he can't give academic and legal immunity one because academic immunity has to be given by individual instructors who are um, you know willing to give that student a pass for being out at the protest and so he doesn't want to make a decision for his faculty despite the fact that the howard faculty senate uh, released a statement saying that they don't want retaliation against the students um, and that they stand in support of the students due to the conditions that they've been working under. Um, he said that legal immunity cannot be granted because a lot of the students who were inside of the building are not Howard students. Um, a lot of them are coming from organizations like um, Harriet's Wildest Dreams um, and, and other different uh, activism programs in the area. So he could not provide legal immunity to those people uh, if there was damage done to the building or if someone were for assaulted, he said, you know, that that would not be ethically correct. He didn't want to do an in-person town hall because he felt like, you know, stuff might escalate without um, 
without, you know, the proper precautions being put in place. But he did meet with students to outline his housing uh, plan for the university. Um, and he said he couldn't reinstate full uh, voting power for his students, alumni and faculty, because that's a decision that has to be made by the board. However, the Howard University Student Association president and the Graduate Student Assembly president uh, were granted voting privileges on the Student Life Committee within the Board of Trustees. Uh, so I know that was very lengthy, but that's an update on the protests that are going on here at Howard University. No, I'm glad that you actually went in that level of comprehension because it made me think about how covering something like this for you and for your fellow journalists at Howard is, is really an education, an on-the-job education that is essentially rehearsal or real life for if you were going to cover Congress or the Senate and and various levels of difficulty accessing people and all of the different things that go into something like this where something happens and then there's a response from the top and then it's the job of the journalist to do what you're doing. So what has it been like to cover? Because I noticed that not only did you get your byline in the Howard uh, student paper, I saw it in Rolling Stone too. Yes, um, so that was absolutely amazing opportunity I received um, for uh, people reaching out and simply wanting to be made aware of the student perspective and the fact that a lot of students don't want to speak due to their fear of retaliation. Um, so as a student journalist, it's been increasingly educating to see not only how students respond to this situation, but how media professionals respond to this situation. Um, I was speaking with my managing editor and she was like, these are the, the most well-trained people I've ever had to interview and had to quote. Um, and so as a student journalist, that's been a challenge to sort of uh, differ and decipher from what is actually being said and suggested and what's not, um, because there's a lot of being around the bush, uh, especially being that we're in DC and a lot of people are aware of how political that this space can be. Um, so for me, it's just been really enlightening. And I'm, I know that, you know, everything hasn't been done perfectly well, but I do think our staff has done a great job uh, putting themselves out there and being willing to report and cover with um, all of these nuances. So I'm, I'm extremely proud and thankful for this experience. And I'm hoping that it can end in a peaceful resolution um, soon uh, so that we can begin covering that. But it's been exciting to say the least. So you wrote a letter from the editor on Monday, and I've particularly enjoyed going through your letters from the editor. These are uh, serious pieces about current events that are happening uh, within your school. This one was headlined, Give Us a Voice, and I'd like you to read your lead to it. All right, it reads, intimidation and scare tactics do not place fear in the hearts of those who feel they are doing the right thing. When people speak up and speak out about what they believe to be injustice, help will come in the agent of spirited individuals to provide solace and solidarity. Now on your website, you say, I must wor work to protect and uphold the life and experience of others with my words. And I feel like as you read that, I'm hearing that as, as you read it. And I feel like as I go through your other letters from the editor, I'm hearing it as well, hearing and reading it. You, you did one about the complications of COVID and a ransomware attack that made the collaborative experience for students difficult. You did another about the lack of PPE on campus and another about uh, social media where you asked the question, what does it mean to be illustrious? Can you walk me through what it's like to write a letter from the editor from idea to completion? Of course, I think that a lot of my ideas started off with conversations that I'm having with my friends and listening to their concerns and their experiences on campus. Um, 
which as you can imagine are extremely personal to me um, because they're affecting the people that I care about and I love at the institution that I care about and I love. Um, so simply seeing, you know, I have a friend that's, you know, studying in the medical field and her discussing, you know, some of the lack of equipment that we have on campus when it comes to protecting ourselves in the fight against COVID-19, being that we are a minority serving institution, predominantly serving the African-American community, um, and we're dying at um, unimaginably high rates. Um, that's concerning to me, you know, seeing that students are comfortable trashing their institution on social media or on TikTok and, you know, taking that as a joke to a lot of the upperclassmen, juniors and seniors, that's disheartening. Um, and so hearing these conversations sort of inspires me to piece together um, different aspects of life here on campus, in addition to doing a lot of reporting while speaking to members of administration and being present while a lot of these events are occurring. Pretty much after taking together the reporting and, and the conversations that I have, I sort of work out how it might be best to artistically um, present my opinions to the broader power community within the letters to the editor. You mentioned artistically. I know that you have experience in spoken word and poetry too. Um, how do you, does, does that play a role in, in your journalism at all? It, it does. Um, and I often get a lot of backlash for it. I love writing with imagery and a lot of description um, and also what people typically put as flowery. So a lot of times my lead will get cut a little short by the editors or I'll hear that, you know, it was hard to get past the fluff. But I definitely try to take that approach of providing a lot of um, metaphors and similes and imagery. Um, to provide to the reader an experience as opposed to just a fact-based, straightforward story. Um, and I just think that's who I am as a writer, not even specifically as a journalist, but just as a person who you know knows what I like to read when I see something on paper. I try to give people that experience. Toni Morrison, who's an alumni of this great institution, often said that you know if you don't have or see the book that you want to read, then you need to write it. Um, and that's, that's advice that I take with me every day. Where did the willingness to speak out come from? I think it really came from growing up with a mother who uh, incorporated and welcomed my opinion in a lot of aspects of her life, personal, private, and, you know, professionally. Um, I was often there with her when she was, you know, at events or interviewing, like I said earlier, and just hearing how clear and concise she was, but also how intentional she was with her preparation definitely inspired me to not only be willing to speak out, but to prepare myself with the facts and the information that I need to speak accurately and acutely aware. With the letters from the editor, I, I particularly, I think they resonated with me because they sound like speeches. And I think for a letter from the editor that, that, that that's really how it should sound. And I think that, that that's important. And whether it's about some of the serious issues or about things like running your hair or other topics, do you have a favorite example of personal experience writing that you've done? Yeah, I can't remember the exact name. I think it was called Nappy, not, uh, or it was like natural, not nappy. I believe that's how it's listed on my website, the Karen Curry. And I remember because I got into it with the editor in chief and I, you know, I didn't like the way that title was phrased, but I spoke specifically about my experience as a Black woman and my journey with my hair um, because it has a lot to do with how I'm viewed professionally. Um, and so I think I shared a lot of good points within that story about, about just how, how I feel in my experiences in writing and in the professional world. So I really like that piece. And it's something that I wrote early on, and it might not be the best technically, but um, it was personal to me. 
We'll link to it in the show notes. Now, at the same time that the student takeover is going on, there are a lot of other things going on on campus. And in looking at the Hilltop Online, the Howard University School Newspaper website, you have a combination of things that become bigger stories like the takeover. And then I would say that you have the kind of things that I would, I would figure on seeing in a college newspaper, like profiles of students with an interesting job in the most recent version of the site, you have a profile of a student who's also a barber. What are some of the issues and coverage decisions that you make in a given week as editor-in-chief? Well, some of the first things that I do are listen to a lot of pitches um, about students and what they're seeing by from, from and by their friends or experiences that they would like to attend. Uh, so I'm sure you've seen the that Steve Madden was on campus last week or during homecoming that we had Dream Doll or other people who people on campus not only admire but think are extremely popular. So we definitely try to do stories that align with students, but we also try to do a lot of stories that spotlight current students and past students. Um, so you'll see some interviews from myself with Bisa Butler or additionally with Lauren Brown who's a makeup artist here um, so pretty much we try to come up with about five to ten stories um, that work in different sections of the paper and speak to different issues whether it's just here at Howard which is our campus section or for HBCUs as a whole which is our HBCU news section which is new this year and we try to to hit on them with facts and fair reporting and try to incorporate the perspectives of people at all levels um, so we've also done stories on the middle school on campus, which is unique to Howard, um, being able to see what life is like for students who are, you know, close to the university, but here at a younger age. Um, so it's really, it's really cool to see all the different aspects that go into a college experience, and we try to include those in our coverage the most. What are some of the toughest decisions that you've had to make as an editor-in-chief? Um, a lot of people um, who are on our staff are definitely fighting to cover events that we've done with Zendaya or with popular fashion um, designers. So it's always hard having to tell someone that, no, they might not be able to cover this story or, you know, we only have three passes for someone to get in. People get pretty um, excited and amped up about those stories. So it's sort of hard trying to, you know, make sure everyone has their fair chance in the spotlight, covering the stories that they think are, are most important or most interesting. Now, there are a lot of things going on around you in D.C. politically. What is being in Washington, D.C. like for you, and how does that contribute to your journalism experience? Well, I'll tell you, it's an experience like no other. There are opportunities that we're presented with that people across the nation just don't get. Um, I remember during the summer, I interned on the Hill with Jim Clyburn, and to be able to see what it's like, uh, not only in a congressional office, but within a congressional press staff, um, providing me with a lot of insight and experience on how to cover things from the aspect of PR, which I had never really seen before. So it gave you a better understanding of, you know, how things are, are done politically in journalism. Also being a White House Correspondent Association scholar, I was able to meet with Caitlin Collins, uh, who's my mentor and the White House Correspondent for CNN. So um, I got to run into her at the White House. And it was so, so cool to be able to uh, see the 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 press conferences and, you know, what her booth looks like for recording and seeing the aspects of broadcast journalism. So I really think that big names, but also a lot being on the line are some of the most um, some of the most interesting experiences that you get from being a college student in D.C. Um, so with, a, with that comes a lot of pressure, um, but also a lot of prestige. In terms of your journalism education, what's the benefit of being at an HBCU? 
I would definitely say that uh, we become acutely aware of misinformation and disinformation that's targeted at the African-American community. Um, and all of our classes are based and rooted in um, and blackness. Um, and so in that, we're able to see a lot more people who look like us in the field, which I know, um, as you've seen from your research, is not common. Um, so to be able to not only uh, be from a lineage where Pulitzer Prize winning journalists and a lot of the first came from, um, in addition to being around other people who are aspiring to be in those positions um, or in those leadership roles has, has given um, given leeway to a new level of conversation to occur on campus, whether it's, you know, us explaining our experiences from different places across the nation or just warning each other about the help that we might need or the hurt that we might cause from the pieces we write, because uh, we're often taught that, you know, we're a representation not only of ourselves, but of our race. Um, and so that's something that I think that a lot of other institutions don't really have conversations about or don't have to be as aware of because of the privilege that comes with not being a person of color. And this is something that will certainly uh, impact you uh, moving forward. Now, you mentioned uh, Howard University's journalism program. The program got a recent boost with the naming of Nicole Hannah-Jones as the ninth chair in race and journalism. She also uh, is founding the Center for Journalism and Democracy. That's part of a number of high-profile hires at the school both in journalism and in other areas, including the drama department. Tanahisi Coates is taking a chair job in the English department. Uh, there are a number of big names. There's uh, more money coming into the journalism program as well. Uh, I actually saw a story right before we were talking about how some professors um, might have even been upset uh, that this money was coming in because there are certain areas at Howard that have been neglected. Have you experienced any of the benefits of uh, the new hires or the, new, the, the money that's coming in at this point? I would have to say that I have experienced very little just yet because I think that uh, them not being here you know, has limited our, our interactions. Um, I know that they're supposed to come in next semester. And I know that Ta-Nehisi Coates has taken a, uh, a large portion of his platform to address what's going on with the Blackburn takeover. So a lot of students are eager to see what will come when they are here on campus. I know that Nicole Hannah-Jones has founded the Ida B. Wells Society for Investigative Journalism collegiate chapter here um, solely at Howard University. So that's one benefit that I know a lot of students in those programs have been able to receive. Um, so so I'm excited to see what they continue to bring to these departments and how they help us align with our career aspirations and goals. Your resume is impressive. You're the student president of the School of Communications. You've, ran tra you've run track in the past. You do poetry and spoken word. You're the director of internal and external affairs for the Howard branch of the National Council of Negro Women. You've published books. Uh, you did a TEDx talk. Um, I'm amazed at how you're able to manage your time. Do you have any tips for that? <laughs> yes, um, always prioritize your sleep. I'm someone who, if I don't get a full eight or nine hours of sleep, I can't function. So I have to really set those boundaries for myself and make sure that I'm getting that time to rest so that I can continue to show up for myself in a lot of areas and in a lot of ways. Um, and I would also say, you know, make sure that you're mapping out your time so that you have downtime to speak to people with the respect and dignity they deserve. I know a lot of people, you know, with their resumes can sort of 
get to a point where they think they're be above and beyond um, having conversations with freshmen or having conversations with people who are aspiring to come to this institution. So I'll say also make time to talk to people who are looking up to you. Um, but additionally, I love doing uh, alarms on my phone. I really don't keep up with a calendar, but I know that when like a sound goes off at two o'clock and it like disrupts me and like where I'm at mentally, I'm going to be able to refocus in on whatever I need to do next and keep myself on a strict schedule. Um, so it's all about what find, finding what works for you and like what's most beneficial, I think, to add to your schedule to make sure that you're able to to be present and to really enjoy the different things that you're a part of, because I really take pride and joy in fully immersing myself in the experiences that I choose to be a part of. One thing that I didn't mention, and you kind of alluded to it with uh, Caitlin Collins being your mentor, you received the Harry McAlpin Scholarship from the White House Correspondents Association. For those unfamiliar, the White House, he was the White House correspondent who in the 1940s became the first Black reporter to cover a presidential press conference in spite of opposition from the WHCA at the time. Now, clearly, you're someone who aspires to work in the field. Uh, are you concerned, do you have concerns as you make the transition in the next two years from student to professional about opportunities for black women in the field? At this point, I don't think so. I think that there's been a heavy um, push for diversity and inclusion, whether that be genuine or ingenuine. I think that it has had a large effect on how the newsroom looks as a whole. Um, I think that a lot of newsrooms are looking to include stories that come from people of color, um, and specifically those people of color who have graduated from historically black colleges and universities. So I'm really excited to go out and take advantage of the opportunities, not only here nationally, but also internationally. I think that's the next um, barrier that I'm looking to break is to bring a lot of the the Black experience and the Black perspective to newsrooms outside of America. I was going to say that in your WHCA bio, where they announced the award, it says Ashley would like to own a television news network that specializes in news focused on underserved global communities. So I presume that plays into what you were just talking about, right? Yes, of course. Do, do you have an idea of what you want to do when you get right out of school? Recently, I was reached out to from, uh, I guess, the HBCU Department of Teach for America, which is a program where you are sort of commissioned to go out into different schools and to teach for about one to two years while you're still learning about what you want to do with your career. Um, teaching has always been a passion of mine, specifically um, English. So I think to teach that at the elementary or middle school level would be really rewarding for me. Um, so that's one of the, the career um, paths that I'm looking forward to after graduating. Not exactly sure if that's where I'll head, but I, I would be eager to work inside of a classroom at some point in my career. That's something that's really important to me. The skills that you've got uh, combining the journalistic aspect with, as you said, the, the creative writing and poetry and spoken uh, word aspect, I think would, would bring a unique perspective certainly to a classroom. So that sounds fantastic. Is there a journalist or journalism organization that, that you would like to salute for their good work? Um, I would have to say first my mom, Erica Bryant. I feel like she's been a journalist that's inspired me and motivated me to write on numerous occasions. Um, but I will have to also say the Charlotte Post, which is an African-American newspaper that's been publishing in print since 1906. Um, and, you know, that's just completely unheard of. And I think that a lot of times they go without receiving their props for continuing to manage um, a largely African-American based uh, newspaper. So that's an organization I'd love to shout out. Of course, the Hilltop for providing me with the opportunity to work at the collegiate level, maybe the National Association of Black Journalists. Um, I think even though I'm not a part of that organization, I've seen a lot of journalists who inspire me come from that organization. And so uh, to have a group that's um, 
set on instilling the fundamentals of journalism early on in collegiate journalists or even professional journalists who are African-American is, is impressive. And so I, I would like to shout that organization out as well. Nice. Absolutely. Ashley Fields, Editor-in-Chief of The Hilltop at Howard University. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Before we go, I want to tell you about a podcast that I find interesting, Democracy in Danger. All over the world, democracy is getting turned upside down. So what can you do about it? Join Will Hitchcock and Sivavid Yonathan on Democracy in Danger. Each week, they interview brilliant guests who are helping them save government by the people, one episode at a time. The last month, they've done a series called Some Fine States, looking at some issues with democracy getting disrupted in Texas, Virginia, Colorado, and Florida. Find Democracy in Danger wherever you get your podcasts, or visit dindanger.org. Welcome to Journalism History, a podcast that rips out the pages of your history books to re-examine the stories you thought you knew and the ones you were never told. Find the Journalism History Podcast at journalism-history.org podcast and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. On the Journalism Salute, we offer interviews that are thoughtful, diverse, and smart. By Ken Lemon, Vice President for Broadcast and the Chairman of the Black Male Media Project for the National Association of Black Journalists. Promoting diversity and fairness for journalists, and, and that's been kind of a big peg of what we've done lately. We're joined by PJ Cabrera. PJ is a teacher. And we focus on what we do matters because I think a lot of student journalists need to understand that the work that they're doing in their in their newsrooms is important. Bettina Chang, the co-founder and executive editorial director of City Bureau. If we could train more people of color to be journalists, that we would put ourselves on a better path where journalism might be more equitable, might be more responsive to the needs of communities. The journalism Salute allows journalism to show the best of itself. Tune in and join the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.